and welcome to Big Streaming Pile. This is an extra spoopy episode. This is our 2019 Halloween episode where we are going to be talking about R.L. Stein movies available on Netflix. So today we are going to be talking about Goosebumps 2, Haunted Halloween, and Mostly Ghostly, which is the first in a series, and I don't think that they had the subsequent Mostly Ghostly films. Um, but we're going to get started talking about Goosebumps 2, Haunted Halloween. Uh, I am your host, Fiona L.F. Kelly. And I am Tom Goldthwaite. Yes, and to bring us good luck, we have my R.L. Stein Say Cheese and Die Goosebumps candle. It is not lit because I don't think we own a lighter, but it's here, <laughs> and that's what matters. <laughs> um, so we're going to get started talking about Goosebumps history. So I didn't know this, but Goosebumps is the second best-selling children's book series behind Harry Potter of, like, all time. <laughs> wow. People really love Goosebumps. Um, it's uh, children's horror novels written by R.L. Stein and published by Scholastic. The original Goosebumps series, which was published between 1992 and 1997, has 62 books. And uh, 400 million books have been sold in 32 languages. And it's all written by the same guy, R.L. Stein. I, th I know that Tom, at least, was surprised to hear this. R.L. Stein's like a real guy. Yeah, I really thought before uh, you told me this that it was more like a brand. It was like a bunch of ghostwriters sort of like operating, you know, as a group or like, you know, people moving in and out over the years. I never imagined it really was just like one guy writing all these books. Yeah, it's one guy who's written, like, uh, I did not count, but it looked like, honestly, like a couple hundred books since he wow. started writing in the 90s. Um, and I think even before that, he was doing various things. And fun fact, he's from Ohio, just like huh. just like us, where we are filming this episode in Ohio. Um, filming. Or the recording, <laughs> whatever we're doing. We're doing something. Mm -hmm. uh, and, yeah, he's... He's a cool dude. Everyone should read about him and his writing process. He writes these books in like six days. I thought that was interesting when I was reading. That is believable. They're not super long. Yeah, they're not super long. They're pretty formulaic. Not to say that they aren't like good and entertaining, but he turned them around in about six days. I was reading his writing process was getting up at like 9.30 in the morning, going into his office, which is like a home office, writing about 2,000 words and then finishing by the early afternoon and just doing whatever he wants the rest of the day. Which That's pretty great. Yeah, that sounds nice. So next I want to get talking about Slappy. Slappy the ventriloquist dummy, often just called Slappy the dummy or just Slappy. Uh, Slappy is from a Goosebumps book called Night of the Living Dummy. And okay. he was also in Goosebumps books, Live Night of the Living Dummy 2, 3. He was in other series uh, as a main antagonist. There was, At one point, he like got married in the books. Uh, oh, also on Netflix is the Goosebumps uh, horror show that just takes each of the books and turns them into like a 22-minute episode of television. Actually, if you watch Say Cheese and Die, it stars one... Ryan Gosling, <laughs> which, which I found really cute, but he does not star in Say Cheese and Die Again. It is a different kid, unfortunately. Mm. But so Slappy's just like an eventualoquist dummy, and you say the magic words that he has in his pocket Karu, Mari, Odana, Loma, Milanu, Karano. Karanu? Something. I don't know. 
We don't have a dummy, so it's fine. I can mess it up. <laughs> if you have a dummy, you should have put it away before I said that. So in the first Slappy book, uh, it's two twin girls, and they go to a house that's being torn down, and in the dumpster, they find a ventriloquist dummy. And the one little girl thinks it's, like, completely stupid. The other one is, like, very tickled by this and goes and decides to perform with it and she gets like vaguely popular doing it her sister gets very jealous and asks for a dummy of her own or to like share slappy and her parents buy her a dummy called mr wood and mr wood is actually the antagonist of the first night of the living dummy fun fact is not hmm. about slappy slappy you are supposed to believe is just a regular dummy until the very end of the book where it's revealed that slappy was also alive all the all oh, after okay. they defeated one of those, mr. like wood. twilight zone Ooh, spooky sorts yeah. of endings, yeah. Yeah, he has, like, one line, and it's, like, last line of the book, where, like, uh, where you realize that he was also alive. And Mr. Wood actually was the one who had the little card in his vest saying okay. all the magic words and stuff. But Slappy is, like, pretty much invincible, and he is popping around places. He's one of the most, like, recognizable Goosebumps antagonists. Okay. So it's not surprising that he was... The main antagonist in Goosebumps 2 Haunted Halloween. And that is a good segue to start talking about the synopsis of <laughs> yeah. Goosebumps 2 Haunted Halloween. So, uh, as always, on Big Stream Kyle, if you have not seen the movie before and you want to, this will contain spoilers. So, probably go watch the movies before you listen to this episode. But if you don't care because the movies aren't terribly good, you can just listen in. So, Goosebumps 2 Haunted Halloween is about one of the it kids i was very pleased to see that ben from it plays sunny uh the main character in this one sunny and his friend sam have a, a backyard business where they are cleaning out houses <laughs> <laughs> well they're attempting to have they're, a backyard yeah, yeah. And they do get one job, so they clean out this house, and uh, they say that you can have anything you want in the house, but they didn't really find anything except for a little passage behind the fireplace, and in that they find... Uh, now, do you think it was supposed to be implied that that phone call to have them come and clean it out was somehow, like, Slappy's doing? Oh, I didn't think of that. See, I like when the phone call came. I figured it was going to be like the antagonist who had them like go do this, but then it turned out to just be Slappy, who was nominally not alive. But I guess I sort of had the idea in the back of my head that maybe it was actually like Slappy somehow made that phone call happen. You know, canonically, Slappy sometimes has human hosts who will do various things for him because i think that in in the movie he's already alive when they go to get him he's already been woken up they don't have to say the words to wake him up okay i mean they do say the words they do say in the movie the, they do say the words but that's to get him to go back to sleep right no i mean they say it at the very beginning they pull it out of his pocket and they say the words and before that happened i don't think the dummy had like done anything oh well i am i'm misremembering the movie okay so <laughs> i watched uh, it last night so, well two nights ago so yeah fresh. I, I watched it like I, I think about a week and a half ago now but Trying uh, to keep up. i know uh so yeah so slappy in um in the goosebumps show it's night of the living dummy three in the Goosebumps books, I think it's a different book where Slappy does have a human host that is able to pass him on to someone else. 
So what exactly happened with this is unclear, but I think that this is a callback to the original Goosebumps book where they do find him in an abandoned house. Mm -hmm. uh, whether that was slappy or not, I don't know. Maybe we're not supposed to know. We're supposed to draw our own conclusions, but I did not think of that. So they find Slappy and they also find a Goosebumps book in the house and they through the best attempts of these bullies they managed to get away with all this stuff no because slappy does yeah slappy yeah. does it yeah, yeah slappy, does slappy it. saves him from the bullies Slappies. yeah and it's worth noting if you haven't seen these movies part of like the fun of the goosebumps movies is that the goosebumps series exists in universe and right. is in fact like the catalyst for the action right so they are aware that this is slappy the dummy like from goosebumps yeah, or that they, like, get there. Yeah. Um, and what happens later in the movie when Slappy starts awakening all the Halloween costumes, they are, like, canonical Goosebumps costumes. And uh, R.L. Stein is a character in it mm -hmm. as well, though. He's a little bit absent from this one. So after they run away from the bullies, they go back home where the sister is there. And uh, Jeremy Ray Taylor's character, Sonny, is is very into doing a science project about tesla which is you know kind of fun pretty metal <laughs> pretty metal <laughs> and he's like making like you know, a replica of like a tesla electric tower that i'm sure would just harm anyone should, <laughs> should an actual child just attempt to create this um but he's performing this for slappy who is a very polite audience member even though he is awoken he he just kind of like goes along with everything um, and the best friend is there, I should say, because at the beginning they say real fast that the that his parents have dropped him off for a few yeah. days while they like leave. And we like never see his parents again. Like even at the end, we like like the friend is just hanging out at their house, kinda like he just lives there full time, which I always like to imagine the parents just never came back. <laughs> they saw like weird stuff happen in the town and they just assumed that their son had died or something and they just never yeah. returned. Yeah. <laughs> um but, uh, gosh, what happens next? I'm trying to think now. Well, like, Slappy starts doing Slappy stuff. Yeah. He starts, like, talking to them. And yeah, he's, he like, he wants to be, like, their them. brother. Well, yeah. yeah, but then he hides himself in the sister's backpack. Right. And, uh, he starts harassing, um, Tyler, the sister's, like, sort of boyfriend, sort of not boyfriend. Yeah, kind of like and, the will they won't they. Yeah. yeah. And, mm -hmm. and, uh... He tries to, like, almost almost kill this kid. I think yeah. he, like, tries to, like, knock over a ladder. He's well, like, he, like, disassembles the ladder with his magic telekinesis power. Yeah. As he, like, pulls the screws out. It is worth noting that the boyfriend, that the reason for this is that the boyfriend had, like, the, the not really boyfriend, but, like, they were something, maybe. Like, the sister had gone to see him at a concert, but he hadn't known she was coming, and she kind of saw him kiss another girl, so she, like, left before... Drama. Yeah. Yeah. Just pure high school drama is great. Yeah. Um, and then Slappy... And she doesn't even know Slappy's alive. She just is, like, complaining about it. And Slappy, sort of, like, playing dead, like, hears this and then is like, oh, I'm gonna make Tyler pay. Which, like, you know, Slappy's a bro. <laughs> Yeah. Slappy Slappy's looking out for uh this girl he wants to be his sister, I guess. Mm -hmm. Not that he's like told her 
No, he hasn't told her any of this. I think that if Slappy would have, like, approached this a little bit earlier, honestly, it would have gone a little bit better for him. Because, like, he's doing, like, vaguely helpful things at first. He's helping someone with their science project. He's protecting this kid from bullies. He's, like, getting revenge for this girl. But he does does turn evil. (laughs) Yeah. And that's actually, I think, an interesting question, which maybe we'll also dive into more later. But I think it is an interesting thought as to whether we're supposed to read Slappy as sort of, like, evil from the beginning and this very, like, corrupting influence, or if we're supposed to read Slappy as kind of innocent and then gets corrupted by the humans around him. Right. Which is an interesting question that we can dive into after we stop getting off topic from the synopsis. So, uh, Slappy, they get they get upset with Slappy. They try to say the words again to make him go to sleep. It doesn't work, though. Um, so he goes to the supermarket where the guy, <laughs> Walter, who's played by, I forget his name, but he plays Cyril Figgis in uh, Archer, and that's all I can uh, hear whenever he talks. Okay. Um, yeah, yeah, that makes sense. Yeah, so he goes that store and he starts awakening all of the Halloween decorations, which are all classic Goosebumps monsters, because the store deals seemingly exclusively in, like, Goosebumps merch, which I think (laughs) is kind of cool. Like, I would shop there. Yeah. And that's also a throwback to the first Goosebumps movie that came out a couple years before this, where they were just fighting all of the Goosebumps monsters. It was not, like, a Halloween-themed thing. Mm -hmm. It was just that they existed yeah yeah and uh that again it comes into play like with the first movie they realize that the book that they have have is able to suck the monsters back up it's an unfinished book by one rl stein uh so uh mr mr chu played by ken jong his house has all these like very extensive halloween decorations that cause a lot of trouble for them but they figure out pretty quickly that if they disguise themselves as other monsters they can move somewhat freely throughout the neighborhood and get to the tesla building where slappy is using the tower instead of electricity is using his magic so that he will have a family (laughs) yeah so he's like using the tesla tower to amplify his magic and like shoot it out across the whole town and there's like the whole like sort of like visual gag of we get, like, early in the movie, like, all these shots of all, like, the crazy Halloween decorations this town's put up, because it comes across, like, a fairly wealthy town with people who have a lot of money to spend on ridiculous Halloween bullshit. (laughs) (laughs) So we see, like, all these cuts of, like, really high-quality Halloween decorations all over town, and then Slappy uses, like, the Tesla power to shoot his magic across, so, like, suburban halloween decoration amped up to like 11 is now like coming alive and fucking shit up which honestly is my dream yeah (laughs) that's that's kind of what i like about these movies is that they they really encompass that very nostalgic like suburban childhood halloween yeah that that was definitely to me like the aesthetic was like suburban halloween yeah which is a fun aesthetic. So uh, part of what slappy wants is he wants their mom uh he wants I think I just called... Oh, no, her name is Kathy. I thought I just wrote her name down as mom. Uh, He wants Kathy to be his mom, and he wants, you know, these people to be his family, which is sort of like an innocent, sweet motivation, Mm -hmm. but also one that is pretty unacceptable. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Because he's going about it in uh, fairly horrible ways. 
So they, they know it's R.L. Stein. They, they can't find the number for R.L. Stein, but they do find the number for Mr. Shivers, who is the head of R.L. Stein's fan club, who we know from the first movie is R.L. Stein's like fake name that he sometimes goes by. Mm -hmm. So they call him, and we don't actually see him until the end of the movie, but they call him and he like gets the message um, and starts making his way there. He kind of like shows up as everything is solved, and he's like, great job, kids, bye. <laughs> yeah, so they managed to uh, use the power to, like, suck everything back into the book. Slappy is thrown very high into the air as this is done. Just yeet. Yeah, they yeeted Slappy <laughs> up into the air and used the magnifying power to just, like, suck everything back up. Things are back to normal, but we never specifically see Slappy mm -hmm. get sucked into the book because he had been yeeted into the air just moments before. So Arl Stein is there, and he's just kind of like, great job, and... <laughs> A part of the movie that tickles me so very much as a writer is that the sister comes up to him as like a fan and an aspiring writer herself and she's like, I have writer's block, what advice can you give? And he gives her the most generic, write what you know, and he gets in a car and drives away, which I find like <laughs> absolutely hilarious. Well, he does proceed with the uh, unhelpful, there are no terrors that I write as horrifying as the blank page. Yeah. Bye. <laughs> and he also implies that he invented, like, the clown balloon thing from yeah. It, which I actually, like, looked this up because it, it had interested me. And, like, they know each other, Stephen King and R.L. Stein, okay. because I guess that the very popular horror writer's circle is is somewhat small Fair. and they're both like yeah i've stolen these plots from the other person's book That's like rl signs like oh yeah i think i like wrote pet cemetery like four times after stephen king did because i liked the plot so much and i was like it's re really funny but i think that stephen king did in fact write that first but uh, it, it still tickled me. And it was also, you know, a reference to one of the It kids being the main character in this movie. Which It is also a very good movie. Chapter 1. And now Chapter 2 is out too. Yeah, both pretty good. Both pretty good. Too good to be on this show. Too good to be on this show, exactly. Um, and at the end, the sister gets into Columbia, which we didn't say at first, but that was like her sort of motivation. Well, no, no. In the this. opening shot, we see the Columbia pennant on her wall. Yeah, but we, yeah, but we didn't say that that was like her motivation throughout this movie. But th that's like her ending is that she does in fact get into the school she wants to go to after writing what she knows, which if I were a college admissions person, especially for like an Ivy League school, and I saw something about how like R.L. Stein monsters attacked me, I, I don't know how I would react. It would certainly catch my attention and maybe that's all you really need. Then kind of like the zinger at the end is we find that Slappy was not in fact sucked into the book. He goes into R.L. Stein and uses the book sucking up magic that was established in the first movie and is used further in this movie to then suck R.L. Stein into the book. Because Slappy never dies. That's part of the thing with him is that okay. he is just like... He's kind of like the roadrunner. Yeah. You just like can't defeat him. Okay. And he was written that way. He specifically says that he was written that way so he cannot die. Mm. Yeah. Oh, okay. I see. Oh yeah, yeah, he does mention that at the end. Like you wrote me this way. Yeah. Yeah. So that was the synopsis of Goosebumps 2 Haunted Halloween. That was a really long synopsis because we kept getting a little bit off That's track. the fun part. <laughs> we might cut this down. Who knows? Let's start discussion, Thomas. Yes. Yeah. yeah. 
what struck me first uh, seeing this movie because I was really like struggling for ideas because I actually kind of liked this movie. I, liked, I did too. I liked I the first one as well. I've not seen the first one. Um, I read the plot summary on Wikipedia and it sounded cute. Yeah. I probably would have enjoyed it if I bothered to watch it. You know, I watched it last year because I thought it was going to be really bad. And then I found my, I found myself very much enjoying it. Like, it really did evoke that feeling of, like, very nostalgic Halloween. Like, it felt mm-hmm. like reading a Goosebumps okay. book. Yeah, yeah, And it felt like kind of the best spoopy. So, like, mm-hmm. Hocus Pocus and Halloween Town and stuff like yeah. that. It really evoked that while also having, like, a pretty strong plot and likable characters. Mm-hmm. Um. But what struck me about this movie, so as I was going through it, I kept waiting for Arlstein to show up because he was very present in the first one. Like yeah. He was in the whole movie the whole way through, but he really didn't show up to the until the end, and he really didn't do anything. It was just kind of yeah. his works acting within the world. It was closer to like a cameo right. than like a character. You sort of get the impression, so if you haven't seen it, like Jack Black is Arlstein. Yeah. And R.L. Side is also in the movie. He plays the principal. Oh. Yeah, at the very beginning of the movie, um, he is he is in fact there, and he is also in the okay. first Goosebumps movie. He's a, he's in a lot of the Goosebumps media. Okay. Like here that makes and sense. there. Yeah. Um, but you sort of get the impression that like Jack Black didn't really want to do it, or like that he just didn't have like a lot of time. So it's like they kind of wrote the movie in a way that he could like come and shoot his scenes in a few days, like towards the end of production. So that is something I was considering, but another conclusion that I came to was that this movie, whether or not Jack Black's availability um, had any influence on this, I don't know, but this movie seemed to me to be very much about, like, death of the author. Um, Okay. So at the end, especially, like, this really stuck with me, his work is the one sucking him into his book. Mm. And that to me just screams kind of like death of the author. Okay, so like in a very literal sense. Yeah, yeah, pretty literally. Like Uh, death of the author. For uh, our listeners who don't know, is a concept that was made in like the '60s by a French philosopher, I guess, (laughs) who I didn't write his name down for some reason. And the whole idea is that the intention and biographical context of the author is separate from a work itself. So. R.L. Stein. when we look at the Goosebumps book, we don't think about R.L. Stein. We look at them totally mm-hmm. separate. Uh, people talk about this lot, a lot with another major children's work, Harry Potter, because J.K. Rowling has since come and been like, you know, responding to criticisms, especially about like diversity in her book. She has since said, well, you know, this, this, and this was my intention when I created it. And the argument is that the intention doesn't matter. What matters is the work itself. Yeah. And, like, Death of the Author will also, I mean, it can be interpreted a lot of different ways because we can separate the idea of, like, intentionality versus, like, authorial context. And, like, those can be different and we can look at them, like, we can use both, we can use one or the other. Um, There's also, like, a sentence in Death of the Author where multiple readings can be legitimate, even if they are not really anything to do with the author's intent. That doesn't mean that the reading isn't there and isn't, like, a legitimate reading of the work regardless of if the author thinks it's stupid or not. 
Right. So I thought that this work was kind of exploring the idea of Goosebumps being separate from this very prolific author, R.L. Stein. Uh, Goosebumps is something that I think has really influenced a lot of people. R.L. Stein himself uh, described the books as being reading motivation rather than a moral lesson. So these books yeah. were designed to get kids reading. And, yeah. you know, with those and Harry Potter, like we had a very like literate generation uh, in yeah. like, the late 90s, early 2000s. In no small part to like these books that were really just pumped out by Scholastic. Yeah. Yeah, I think that is interesting where it's like they're educational, but only in the sense that they are, you know, like, like they aren't stupid books. Like there's right. something there to read. And there's like themes... And, like, yeah. the prose itself is not incredibly simple. So it's educational just because it's getting kids to read, getting kids to sort of engage with a text. Yeah, you're practicing a skill more yeah, than anything. Yeah. And you can analyze it like we are doing here with his mm -hmm. works, with his films. Um, and I think that it really inspired, you know, a love of whether it be reading, horror, mm -hmm. other types of media. It really did get kids interested in engaging with works. Mm -hmm. So I think that that makes it sort of interesting because I do, like, remember people talking about um, this kind of mysterious figure. He's not someone who's in the public spotlight very much. Yeah. I think that he doesn't particularly care to be. He's just yeah. like... Uh, he's an older gentleman, a gentleman who just wants to pump out some books about mm -hmm. scary stories for yep. kids. And he doesn't want to invoke any morals or anything like that. He just wants to present text to children. Mm -hmm. And uh, I think that that's interesting when you look at it in terms of Goosebumps 2 Haunted Halloween, how he himself is so separate from the work itself. And we just look at Goosebumps as this absolute like monolith of a franchise that is both inoffensive and has a lot of staying power. Goosebumps yeah. to this day is a very recognizable franchise. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Well, it's almost interesting how much in this movie R.L. Stein is presented as not really like a super likable character. No, I think that he's neither likable nor you know, unlikable, I guess. Yeah, he's not, like, hateable. Yeah. You don't want to, like, punch him in the he's face. He's just very absent. And that is, yeah. like, kind of the opposite to well, us before. Because you really don't have access to these people. You just have access to the media that's there. You don't yeah. have access to the creators. Yeah. But even when he is there, he, like, comes across as a little pompous, kind of pretentious. Yeah. Um, Like, Jack Black isn't, like, chewing the scenery as aggressively as you might think he would, given, like, the role. That he's kind of playing this almost like aloof professorial type which is kind of funny for someone who writes goosebumps yeah <laughs> but um in the books too he he is very specifically separating himself or not in the books in the movie he's, he's specifically separating himself he doesn't give people a way to contact him he has a yeah. pseudonym that they can contact and i guess if it's serious enough if if something like what happens in the first movie happens again you know, he can go and save the day, kind of like he did here. Even though he really mm -hmm. didn't do much, he was just there long enough to be like, okay, everything's okay, bye mm -hmm. guys. Yeah. Um, and in the first movie, too, he's presented as a little bit that way. He's uh -huh. he's very standoffish, um, but at the end of the movie, he learns how to accept new people. So in the first movie, I guess, turn this off if you don't want spoilers for the first movie, but um, how this magic happens is he has a magic typewriter and he writes a daughter into existence because he's very lonely. And uh, he's, he's a kind of suspicious character to the male main character whose name I don't remember. 
in that film, uh, he thinks that he might be like an abusive father figure. He hears him yelling at the girl a lot and he's like worried mm. about it. So then it turns out that he is this hero, R.L. Stein, and that really colors the character's perception of him after that point. They're like, oh my gosh, like you wrote these books, you're brilliant, like, you know, mm -hmm. everyone grew up reading Goosebumps. And without that particular context to it, R.L. Stein does because does become this very like aloof, unapproachable figure who okay. is like yeah. unwilling to interact with his fans other than be like the you know like i'm sure you'll get over that writer's block girl yeah, yeah. never gonna see you again mm -hmm. bye <laughs> uh what, what what thoughts did you have about haunted halloween thomas well the one thing that i've been starting to mention earlier um i do think it's an interesting question as to whether we're meant to read slappy as like corrupting or like corrupted because the earliest interactions with him, I mean, he definitely comes across as ominous and creepy, but he seems, his motivations seem relatively benign, but obviously he does end up evil, and I wasn't totally sure watching the movie if I was supposed to be understanding him to be, like, malicious from the start, and it just, like, took a while for him to show his true colors, or if I was supposed to understand that the kind of banal meanness of these this family towards each other and like the kids are a little mean to each other the sisters mean to her brother the brothers mean to the sister like they're all a little like not like evil but like just kind of mean to each other i wasn't sure if i was supposed to be understanding that it's almost like that corrupted slappy and made him evil now i guess from the, the plot summary he was like the bad guy in the first one yeah so from that perspective maybe we're supposed to just know that but sort of almost setting that aside it, the movie seems to at least allow for a reading that Slappy was fine until he sort of absorbed this background radiation of shitty meanness that was flowing through that family. Yeah, and I think that that's the case with uh, many Goosebumps families, actually. Like, okay. even the main characters are always, like, super sympathetic and make the right choices. Um, we have kind of the vague bullies who just do bullying things mm -hmm. just because, in this work and in other works, but even the main characters, you know, we usually have the downtrodden nerdy kid who just wants to do right, and that isn't really always the case with Goosebumps. In the original Slappy story, it was two sisters who were just, like, kind of cruel to one another and like who are jealous and it really isn't unbelievable that they're doing this to each other just to like sabotage everything and I think that that actually is a revelation at one point is that the one sister jealous of the other sister for getting attention really is just fucking with everything and being like oh the dummy did it isn't that terrifying and then of course the dummies are in fact actually evil but um yeah, that is a good question. Uh, we could, if we throw out the death of the author, like, theory of it, we could, or at least say that the character of R.L. Stein, being an imperfect person with this godlike power, created these very imperfect monsters who might have a sympathetic motivation of, like, just wanting a family, but they were also written with that motivation. And when that comes into reality, that's, like, kind of a cruel thing. And it's also a cruel thing of R.L. Stein to, like, create a person through his writing and throw it yeah. out there and uh i mean family is a really big uh theme in the goosebumps books and also in these two movies that 
came out most recently. Erlstein is a cruel god. <laughs> <laughs> a sort of elder god in the Goosebumps universe. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, just a, just, a, just a mean uh, old man who makes some mistakes yeah. and, you know, bad things happen mm-hmm. as a result. Yeah. But I, I do think that's an interesting question. Like, how much influence does Slappy really have on the universe versus how much does he want you to think that he has? Mm, um, yeah. You know, in the books and stuff, he does kind of like almost benign things to get people into trouble. But usually to the point where I have noticed that if Slappy is possessed by an adult, it's almost like his powers are, are sort of irrelevant. Like most of what he's doing is pitting people against each other. Okay. He's like making it, he's making a mess, making it look like a kid did it. So the parent comes and gets mad at the kid and it yeah. kind of isolates them. Yeah. Um, yeah. But, that's but a- he's not like an all powerful God. He just like is able to use, you know, what people think is real, you know, ventriloquist mm-hmm. dummies cannot do these things to turn it against other people. Yeah. And that's an interesting idea that he, part of his mission is to like sort of humiliate and isolate people and sort yeah. of like turn them against each other and like cut them out of each other's lives in like these weird ways yeah it's interesting yeah but um i think that we're getting to the end of the goosebumps 2 discussion Ooh. yeah we can move on to the next one um, real shit yeah final thoughts on goosebumps 2 haunted halloween uh, I, I kind of wanted to do a Goosebumps movie. I will say that I don't think that this movie is as bad as other movies we're going to cover on yeah, the show. Yeah, I actually thought it was pretty good. Um, yeah. Like, obviously it was kind of dumb. Yeah. And that's, like, and it also was, like, aimed at kids. Yeah. So maybe I, it's not fair not, to come at it too hard. Yeah, I would not call this movie, like, a masterpiece, but as far as, like, movie adaptations go, I really enjoyed this. It was this. fun. It, it was, was fun. It was a fun, cute little movie. Um... I picked it because it had it was the Goosebumps movie that had under fifty percent on Rotten ah, Tomatoes, okay, got it. so that was kind of my uh, okay. the, how I was judging this. And got you it. know, I don't know that I'll keep two movies under fifty percent on Rotten Tomatoes. I might just kind of use my best judgment. But yeah, that's that's why it was on this show, and I wanted to talk about All it. Right. So that's the other reason. All right. But anyway, R.L. Stein's mostly ghostly. <laughs> Extreme Pie listeners, we're taking a quick break from today's show to talk to you about today's sponsors. This episode is sponsored by Audible. For the listeners of this podcast, Audible is offering a free audiobook download with a free 30-day trial to give you the opportunity to check out their service. Uh, you can download any audiobook of your choice from it, including Camp Red Moon by R.L. Stein, And this is an Audible-exclusive R.L. Stein book. See what I did there? To download your free audiobook today, go to audibletrial.com slash bigstreamingpile. Again, that's audibletrial.com slash bigstreamingpile for your free audiobook and 30-day trial. Directed by Rich Coral. It was written by Pat Croft and Rich Coral and was based on the mostly ghostly novel series by R.L. Stein. 
Um, so mostly ghostly is is a legitimately bad movie. This one is it's, a, it's a it's a garbage fire. Yeah, this one is. It was a, really hard to watch. <laughs> this one is is a Disney Channel original movie, I think, mm. and I find it so fascinating because like, so Noah Cyrus, who is Miley Cyrus's sister, now is a fairly successful. Uh, music career and she's also ponyo and ponyo she was a little fish yeah um she's in it for about two seconds which i find is funny Lindsay lohan's sister plays like the hot girl which i also think is kind of funny yeah but uh this movie is about max the magnificent the male main character and he likes to do magic and at the beginning of the movie there is i think a raven that like explodes and a ghost named fears which is very on the nose. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. He comes out of the bird. Is he supposed to be like a ghost or a demon or a magician or what? He's supposed to be an evil ghost, I think. Okay. I think this is all about ghosts, so I think that he's supposed to be a ghost, but just like one with bad motivations. Okay, see, I was thinking he was almost more like a magician who was like turned evil. I think he's supposed to be a ghost because okay. they say that like, yeah, I'm pretty sure he's a ghost. Okay, because he's able to like kind of cross back and forth between like the the planes or whatever that's true it's unclear what's going on i think is the message um he has ghost-like abilities but he also is able to do things that only the living are supposed to be able to do so he is either a very powerful ghost or something else entirely and i don't think that they specifically say yeah which one it is um so he's there and his name is fears um, spelled with a PH. Which because, we know because of subtitles. Yeah, we know this because of subtitles. And uh, it would be two on the nose if it was spelled yeah, with an F. Yeah. So uh, he's watching this little kid magician, Max the Magnificent, and kind of berating him as he badly does magic tricks. And then Max comes out with uh, some actual magic from the light of the earth, Dark Descends, should they return that all depends and he gets very panicked by this because he's not supposed to know those words and uh he kind of like curses max and goes off Mm -hmm. to wherever the other ghosts that he's hanging out with are and max goes down and his family just sort of bullies him for a couple minutes until we get on to the next plot it was it was amazing (laughs) to me how like on the nose the father's like not even quite blame but just like pro sports agenda was where it's like it wasn't like most cases of this you see where it's like you know the the movie makes an effort like the father is like disappointed that the son like isn't into sports and like the son is upset because he can tell and like the father is upset because he wishes he could do sports but it's like but in this one is like literally the dad keeps saying like you should be like your brother because he plays sports yeah and he's like i like your brother better he's good at sports yeah (laughs) it's just like whoa it's pretty funny how absent this father is and the mother like makes an attempt but she's also a little bit cruel herself like at the beginning um she calls him max the magnificent he's like oh what happened to max the greatest and she goes we'll work up to it (laughs) see i actually thought that was cute and funny i liked the mom and here's what's weird is that i actually liked this dad because it was almost like they wrote this, like, normal, likable dad guy character, but then, like, came back through the script and just inserted moments of, like... Like, I say this, like, in the literal sense, like, literally unbelievable cruelty, but he's, like, happy and smiling and joking around, and, like, all of his, like, body language suggests, like, 
I'm a fun, cool dad guy. And it's like all of his other interactions, he like clearly likes his son, Max. Right. It's just he also says some really fucked up shit. Yeah. <laughs> but then just like, everyone's just like, oh, <laughs> what a guy. <laughs> <laughs> um, but then we cut to a plot about two ghost children named Tara and Nikki. And they do not realize that they're ghosts at first until they are hit by a car and nothing happens. And then they realize that they are, in fact, ghosts. And they pretty quickly meet up with Max, who is openly talking to them. No one else can see them yeah. besides Max, but he's openly talking to them like while other people are around. And other people are responding to him as if he's, like, talking about what's on TV, like, to comical effect. <laughs> comical is a strong word. <laughs> Yeah. That scene almost killed me. It is it's like, a pretty bad scene. Because it, it was so bad. and There's also not a lot of music during the movie. Yeah. And there are like long pauses in between people talking that makes everything feel really like awkward yeah. and unnatural. Yeah. And I will give it to the kid actors. They're giving it 150%. But like yeah. maybe they shouldn't have. Maybe they... <laughs> Maybe we should have gone to, like, 85, and, like, everything would have felt a little bit more smooth. Yeah, yeah. Because <laughs> they are just going for it in every yeah. scene. And it would have, like, if it would have been theater, it would have been, like, absolutely perfect, which might be these kids' bathrooms. Yeah, I was actually about to say that um, a lot of this had the feel to me of, like, an amateur theater production. Right. Where it's, like, you could almost, like feel like the stagehands coming out and changing the set and then like the spotlights come on and it's like now we're acting yeah and it's like and the scenes were very like i don't know there was like weird amounts of space like dead space in between scenes and it was silent yeah that was there was the no music thing. there was no music there was like a little bit of score in some scenes yeah but not nearly I almost enough. wonder if, like, this had a laugh track at first and they edited it out. Ooh, it might have. <laughs> but, like, I think back to other Disney Channel original movies and, like, I don't, like... I mean, I've watched, like, Cadet Kelly and Halloween Town and stuff like that recently, and they were not quite that bad. Yeah. <laughs> like, even Hocus Pocus, which I imagine was made for like a similar budget with the exception of getting Bette Midler like Hocus Pocus had to be a much higher... no there's no way I mean this movie also just looked like shit yeah it, it was so it was filmed in like 2008 I think or at least that's the year it came out and it looked like it was filmed on someone's cell phone camera yeah like, it just looked really bad yeah like yeah that's pretty much what it looks like like th this looks like a movie that like I don't know like some ambitious 17 year olds with like decent cell phones would be able to make this happen today yeah and like the whole movie this is another thing that struck me is the whole movie looks like i thought this movie came out like in the 90s until someone mentioned youtube yeah <laughs> <laughs> and i was like wait what <laughs> i don't know that's when hocus pocus came out maybe they had a bigger budget in the 90s people just yeah. as they got older i mean this would have come out when i was in high school maybe just that audience just wasn't watching Disney Channel original movies yeah. anymore. Who knows? But I, I have seen people very nostalgic for this movie, which is also part of why I wanted to theme this episode Arl Stein mm -hmm. and watch it because, like... But then once I watched it, I'm like, oh, this is really bad. It's, yeah, it's just bad. <laughs> like, this isn't, like, the secretly good or even, like, the... It's hard to even say this is, like, so bad it's good 
Although I, there there were moments that made me laugh. Yeah. But it was a lot of it was just bad. Yeah. And just like very it very was stupid. Like, it was at times a little bit unwatchable. Um, yeah. But I just you know I like always it, it like makes my heart you know feel warm and fuzzy when uh i see actors just so going for it even when the movie's like really bad so i did like that aspect Mm -hmm. of it yeah like if someone's just giving it their all i'm like oh you know what i'm rooting for you like i'm pulling for you i hope this yeah well it's like i that was what was so weird was i actually liked basically every character in this movie and i still couldn't like watch it yeah like i actually liked the people it was just yeah the actors are probably the best part of this movie yeah Fears, so I was looking up everyone from this movie. The guy who plays Fears is from Cleveland. Oh, I think I okay. told you this while, while I think you, you were did. watching I think the you movie. Did, yeah. But um, more Ohio people coming yeah. out in these movies. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, so meets up with these people. They're looking for their parents. They find their grandmother, who is also a ghost. And I think it's implied that, like, her ghost has died by the end of that scene. I'm not sure what exactly was going on with it. Yeah, it's like she's, like, like fading in and out. And then she's like, ooh, find the tunnel. Yeah. And it was just, like, never seen again. Yeah, I think it's implied (laughs) that she died. So I think that's supposed to give them um, a sense of urgency. Yeah. But... Because the implication is that Tara and Nikki will, like... Will also... Fade yeah. as well. But they have been ghosts for, like, the same amount of time, it seems like, which... But they're younger. They have the vitality. Yeah. They're, <laughs> like, physically younger, but the whole family somehow died at the same time, which is kind of horrifying to think about. But, uh... Which is actually... They never actually quite say what happens yeah i assume that this is explored more in the books because yeah. the books when i look them up were just about max tara and nikki going on various adventures okay. um i don't it's unclear what happened to the parents and like tara and nikki's original motivation was that they wanted to find out what happened to their mm-hmm. parents but by the end of the movie they're just like we'll help you with your magic show max and we can deal with that later um because their parents are just not there. Yeah. And they themselves are not there for something like two years because Max's family had enough time to, like, move in and get settled yeah. in the house where they presumably yeah. died. Which that was interesting to me that it was, like, they didn't even, like, talk about it. But presumably they would have had to move there not that long ago. Yeah. Would you think that for someone like Max, who is presented as, like, very socially awkward... That would have been a big thing. Yeah, you'd think that he would be, like, still... Or at least, like, maybe he wouldn't really have it to blame, but you'd think that that would be something that he would, in his head at least, blame for his, like, awkwardness or lack of good friends. Yeah. The other, the other, you know, solution to that issue would be that they did already live in that school district and were just like, oh, thank goodness this family died. We love their house and just, like, moved in there. That's also a possibility. So the conflict with Max is that he wants to do a magic show I, on Halloween night mm-hmm. at the school, and he needs to prepare mm-hmm. for it. Um, and he also has a crush on a girl, Tracy, played mm-hmm. by Lindsay Lohan's younger sister. And which also, he's like a freshman, and she's like a senior. Yeah, which is like a little bit weird. Yeah. This, this kid, Max, is supposed to be a freshman in high school, looks like he's maybe like 11. Yeah. So, like, it's extra weird. I was surprised when they said he was a freshman, because I was like, oh, he's like 9 or 10 years yeah. old. Yeah. But uh, they, <laughs> there's also a funny uh, dream sequence 
with uh, Tracy being his magician's assistant during this show, where you could tell they were trying really hard not to sexualize this young girl because, like, you know, yeah. clearly Matt. So she's wearing like the typical uh, magician's like uh, assistant mm -hmm. uniform, which is like you know the the leotard which is the tights instead of pants but like they're very opaque tights and like yeah. you know she's very covered up mm -hmm. so i thought that that was like funny and also it's good that they thought about it, i guess yeah. but um so through a wacky series of events involving like uh nikki messing around was no nikki's the brother tara messing around yeah. uh she does in fact agree to be the magician's assistant through all this chaos with Fears taking Tara, that also happened shortly after Fears takes Tara and everything, and uh, they find the tunnel, which is in Max's basement, and the thing about the tunnel is that ghosts can't go through it, um, only the living can Except go through on it. Except on Halloween. Except on Halloween. And then ghosts can come through. Oh. And then ghosts can come through. They, and he goes into this tunnel and he hears but does not see Tara and she tells him to go forward with his magic show same as before and he goes to school having no act prepared and Nikki just goes around doing all the magic tricks for him which would be fucking mind-blowing to see. Yeah although it is pretty funny that like he got up there and it's like every trick was like levitate that yeah. to there. Yeah. <laughs> And, I, and everyone's like hey in fairness it would be amazing to see yeah. but it was also like every trick was that yeah which is funny because i mean it seemed like he had like nothing else prepared and yeah. he did not give tracy any heads up to what no, should be going she had no on. idea she just stood there on stage yeah. which i thought was really funny that he had like no plan for her being yeah. his assistant which it doesn't raise the question of like what would he have done like what was his plan was he just like gonna figure out his act like the night before it seemed like he was kind of working on an act at the beginning of the movie, but he didn't, like, finish it yeah. because all the ghost stuff happened. Mm -hmm. But, um... But even, like, he's he, literally on stage, and he's like, well, like, let's find out what my mom put in this big-ass <laughs> trunk. Yeah. And I'm just like, you don't know what's in your big magic trunk? <laughs> it's like, what do I have? A pitcher of water. Yeah. <laughs> He does the card trick where, you know, you say the card that's there. And I'm like, that's the least impressive part of this yeah. deck of cards floating from off stage to this guy. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> but, um, yeah. And then he takes a cockroach out in, in a hamster ball. I don't know why mom packed that, but he does. And it, like, explodes and it's fears and all mm -hmm. the ghosts. And fears is the animal traveler. Yeah. I don't know if we mentioned that before. Okay, so Fears is the ghost who can travel through animals, and through this movie, travels through, like, a raven, their their dog, who mm -hmm. Max is, like, shockingly unaffected by his dog dying in front of him. Well, what was funny was, like, the dog, like, splits open and appears dead, and Max doesn't seem bothered, but then he does seem really happy when, like, Buster comes back. Yeah, and, like... So it's like he just forgot to act being sad. <laughs> yeah, because, like, when... I, I mean, when Fears, like, you know, shows up, there is the element of shock that's there. But when Fears disappears and the dog is still ripped in half, he's just kind of like, oh, poor Buster. And then Buster comes back and he's, like, thrilled. Yeah, he's, like, real happy about it. <laughs> and I'm like, does this kid, like, bury his emotions because of his dad? Like, what is going on here? <laughs> so, yeah, Fears comes out of this cockroach and starts causing all the ghosts to come out, which includes Tara. So we get Tara back. Mm -hmm. And, um... 
Max finds the rest of the words he's supposed to say, which is from the light of the earth, the dark descends, should they return, that all depends. When hands point up to moonlit skies on 1031, the darkness dies. So those are the magic words that Tara and Nikki's parents have transcribed that will send uh-huh. the ghosts away. Which also just like Halloween fires ends. out of his like secret decoder ring. Yes. Which is not explained like at all yeah he just sort of gets the ring and then just magically the ring shoots out a message and he just reads it yep and that plot is solved and uh, the ghosts all which is the whole plot yeah the ghosts all get sucked back except luckily i guess tara and nikki well because they have to hold on to the hand of the living oh yeah see Mm, Mm -hmm. okay yeah yeah (laughs) and uh then uh gotta stay up on your mostly ghostly lore i know i (laughs) i didn't i didn't remember that part that is uh pretty i like sort of watched it for for two times like when Mm -hmm. you were watching it the first time but it's it's a really bad movie (laughs) so i didn't pay too too much attention but um yeah so they they get to stay there and max is also sort of unbothered like oh sorry we didn't find out what happened to your parents they're like nah it's okay we have time and i'm like i thought that time was like the limiting factor here Eh, you know whatever but um so they don't know what happened to their parents but they do find out that tara can travel through the internet and that is the real important thing Uh. And she used it to do homework. What a nerd. And to like, hack the dark web. <laughs> yeah, she hacks the dark web. And then the movie's uh, over. I don't think we... Oh, no. So we don't get a resolution to Tracy because I don't think that was ever like going to happen in the first place. But we do yeah. sort of get a resolution to the dad who realizes that Max can do real magic and should be respected. Yeah, yeah. Like the dad is like over the moon. I'm like... Like, have, like, a fucking middle ground, buddy. Yeah. Like, be, you like, supportive. You can only supportive. like things that aren't sports if, if you if are like literally the best. The best. Yeah. <laughs> I'm like, dude, like, do just, like, a little bit of, like, follow your dreams and have a fallback option. <laughs> yeah. That's, uh, that's what happens in Mostly Ghostly. And in addition to what we riffed on in the synopsis, I want to talk more about uh, Max and his dad. So, okay. The movie does have kind of a, well, not like a super strong moral message, but there is a moral message with Mm -hmm. his dad's plot line, which is shockingly absent from the other uh, R.L. Stein books. Like, he doesn't really like to go into, like, moral lessons and, like, what you should do and shouldn't do. He kind of more veers into, like, people are assholes and, like, you know, I guess be smart and you can get out of situations. Mm -hmm. Like, he really does lean on to like your cunning should be able to get you out of situations Mm -hmm. and like children should have to learn how to face evil yeah he really doesn't get into morality which i think that there was present in this movie. yeah i think he gets into i mean it's been a long long time since i've read the goosebumps books i think he does get into sort of like friendship is magic territory a little bit where it's like there's nothing that like good friends working together can't like face yeah um, but it, it does also come from, like, putting your heads together. Um, yeah, So yeah, there fair. is the theme of, like, you know, you have to you have to use, like, your wit and your cunning to figure yeah, out how to get yeah. out of these things. Okay. Makes sense. But, um, 
Yeah, the dad, I, I think that's part of, so there's many things that, that feel weird about this movie, but I think that's part of what makes this movie feel a little weird and a little bit um, an R.L. Steiny is that it does have that, like, hey, don't be a dick to your kids. Yeah. Like, like, it has, like, a very firm, like, arc. Right. And again, there is the theme of family, but um, the the family that isn't accepting in most R.L. Stein works are more, like, quietly unaccepting. Like, they're, like, mm-hmm. a little bit mean, they make some comments, but they aren't, like... You can't come in the house until you've scored ten baskets. Like yeah, yeah, yeah they don't yeah. do like that sort of thing. Yeah, but um, and the bullying was also super on the nose in this movie. Like it's yeah. like there's a bully. He's like the mean guy, and Max is the small guy, and the big mean guy beats up the small guy until his ghost buddy kicks the bully's ass, and then the bully's afraid of him. And then Max says, the weather up here, it's pretty great. And, you know, walks out in his pleasers. Um, (laughs) Now there's the crossover we deserve. Yeah, if you don't know that reference, listen to our first episode on Tall Girl. Um, But, yeah. Tall Girl spoilers, I guess. Yeah, Tall Girl spoilers. Um, Yeah, I, I thought that that was very strange. Also, like the the brother was kind of following in the dad's footsteps like he was only like not bullying his brother when he could do literal magic and yeah that's that's also very interesting so i guess you could kind of look through this through like a feminist perspective like you know they, they were really just trying to like toughen up this kid at, mm. at the cost of like his well-being uh in some instances and like that's clearly wrong <laughs> yeah yeah, and that would be, like, the most damning thing. Well, other than the dad just being, like, openly, like, I like your brother better because he's good at sports. Yeah. Like, is the, like, they see Colin being just an absolute asshole to his brother, and they're just like, this seems fine. Yeah, they're like, well, he scored all those points in the big game. Yeah. So it's okay. Mm-hmm. Um yeah, I, I guess at least the mom, like, shows a semblance of interest. Like, she washes mm-hmm. his magic cape for him, mm-hmm. which is very nice. Um, but, yeah, the dad just sort of wants to, like, watch sports. Um, I think that his dad understands that this is something that he is not interested in based on the fact that he uses sports as an actual punishment. Um, yeah. True. <laughs> like he can't do it, but his his ghost friends also make him good at sports, which is uh, very kind of them. <laughs> but get ghost friends, and you're gonna be able to dunk. Yep, uh, dunk the basketball hoop in your driveway. Yep. Or it was in the cul-de-sac. It was somewhere. Yeah, I don't know. somewhere. But um, yeah. The mom had such a weird dynamic at times because she was definitely played as like usually like sort of, like, loving, but a little sarcastic mom. Yeah. But also, she was just, like, you know, cracking wise, and then just, like, watching her son get bullied and belittled, and just kind of there. Like, she wasn't, like, laughing with, like, the dad and the brother. Yeah, she just kind of stood idly by. Yeah, she just, like, watched sort of, like, maybe, like, a tiny, like, little resting smile. Like, not, like, a mean look, not, like, a happy look. It's kind of, like, there. And then, like, they would be done, and then she would just, like, go back to being, like, loving, slightly quippy mom. (laughs) Yeah, which I guess isn't, like, 
an unrealistic thing to happen. That's fair. But it is very strange that this is never addressed. Yeah. That, like... That's not an arc. Yeah. There's kind of, like, these benign bullies at school. Um, It seems to mostly be, like, one kid, which, like, if you can just kind of avoid that one kid Mm -hmm. on the bus, like, he seemed like he'd be pretty okay. But it was more, like... A little bit heartbreaking that at home he was just like so openly mm-hmm. unaccepted like yeah yeah there was no subtlety which might just be a symptom of this movie like has no just subtlety really, like, in its dna yeah it. i i do kind of wonder if like maybe these people even the people who like wrote and directed this movie have a background in theater and yeah. that's just like they were they were like yeah go with like the super presentational style of acting it'll mm-hmm. be great um maybe done with like a different budget on not like a webcam <laughs> this could be like a really interesting like art film yeah. but i don't know yeah. there's a <laughs> i question the dad i question like what the dad's yeah. role is yeah um i did not read the mostly ghostly books otherwise i would talk about how the dad is in the books and i also couldn't really find synopses online because people seem to give way more shits about goosebumps yeah than they do mostly, mostly ghostly yeah but mostly ghostly does have a sequel it's uh mostly so this one is mostly less ghostly who let the ghouls out or something who let the ghosts is it really? out yeah and the sequel is mostly ghostly who stole my ghoul friend or something like that okay <laughs> I did not notice this movie had a subtitle. I thought it was just mostly ghostly. No, it does, in fact, have a subtitle, just like Big Streaming Pile technically has a subtitle. So. What is our subtitle? I don't remember. It's something like nice. the Best of Bad Streaming or something. It's something yeah, like that. yeah, yeah, yeah. It's, um, it's on the. If you logo. look at wherever you're listening to this, I'm sure you can find out. Yeah. <laughs> uh, so, do you have anything more to say about Mostly Ghostly? <sighs> best of the bad (laughs) (laughs) what do i have to say about mostly ghostly this movie is just well okay here here's what i'll throw out there this movie like tried way too hard to be like sketch comedy funny yeah like at times it almost felt like they had a plot but then like the scenes weren't really written for the purpose of moving the plot or developing the characters but half the time felt more like off-putting comedy sketches right that were like well so like the scene where it's like the two ghosts have shown up and max is like talking to them because max is the only one who can see the ghosts because he's a magician or yeah. because he said the first half of the words i'm not sure why it's supposed to be yeah it's, it's not, not it's not totally clear yeah but anyway, so he can see them. Nobody else can. They, like, appear next to him. And he, like, starts talking to them. But, like, this like in, in another movie, he would, like, say one thing. And it would, like, create a funny situation. And then everyone... And then he would, like... And then he would get, like, a laugh out of the funniness. And then he would, like, go to another room and finish the conversation. But, like, in this movie, he just stays in the room where his family is watching TV carrying on a conversation with the ghosts and they're misinterpreting every single thing he says or thinks he's really weird for saying it yeah and it just keeps going yeah and like it like it really has that feel of like more of like a poorly thought out snl sketch this is supposed to be like escalating humor rather than like it being like 
a gag that the movie can then just move on from. Right. And the movie's, like, full of that kind of thing. Yeah. And I think that, like, sort of presentational acting, especially from, like, your child stars, isn't uncommon for Disney and these, like, Disney original movies. Um, But it was just, like, everyone was doing it, including, Mm -hmm. like, the screenwriter and and everything. And it just, like, didn't work. Like, it didn't mesh. Um, The kids were all, like, really cute in it, though. Yeah. Like... Yeah. You just you just were like I felt like I was like watching my kid at like the local community theater and I wanted to like take some pictures like look at him go. They also like would try and do like very like visual humor every yeah. once in a while. It's like we get like the scene of Nikki who's like the little ghost boy like slamming his head against stuff. Yeah. And it just like keeps going. Yeah, they do it like three times, and I never quite got it because like the joke was the first time that he did it, mm-hmm. or like Max tries to uh, follow him out of a door that he's just sort of faced yeah. through, and then um, Tara just like opens the door for him because yeah. if you concentrate, you can interact with the material world. That's Which, the big thing. Yeah, and that goes like it goes from like if you concentrate, you can interact, and like five minutes later, they're like stripping a room bare in like four seconds yeah and putting the furniture somewhere in the ghostly room i guess (laughs) yeah like it's just gone and they do it like as like they become blurs and we hear the little girl laughing yeah which came up with the subtitles as tara giggles (laughs) (laughs) which for some reason like tickled me but it's just like and what made it extra funny was clearly the same sequence and sound effects played both times as you right. get all the blur and yeah. then the furniture just like poofs and then they put it back and the furniture just like Oop. yeah they had like one Tara giggling sound loop that they just like or sound bite rather that they yeah. just played over and over yeah and over yeah throughout the entire movie it's like they captured that on tape like once and i don't know the director like fell in love with that clip and just yeah. like and it is, like, crazy. a good little kid giggle. Yeah, like, it is. It does sound a lot like that, um, I don't know what it's called, what that sound bite's called, but you hear it in a lot of movies. You even hear it in Goosebumps 2 Haunted Halloween, uh, this particular, like, little kid laugh that repeats. People use it in yeah. everything from, like, horror movies to family comedies. Mm-hmm. It does sort of sound like that, so maybe they mm-hmm. were just, like, really excited about the prospect of saving some money and not, like, using that clip. Ah, uh, could be. And they just played they just it over this, and over. But it's also, like, very distinctive. Yeah. <laughs> so it's like, ooh, what? <laughs> like, it's not like the, like, Wilhelm scream that sort of disappears once it happens. Yeah. You know? <laughs> I don't, I don't know, man. This, this movie had more questions than answers, yeah. I think. I don't know if these answers are, um, are answered in the sequel. I don't know if Tracy is the ghoul friend. Actually, I don't think that she is because I think I looked up the cast and it was like completely different except for the little girl mm. who plays Tara. <laughs> so. Oh, really? Yeah. Oh, interesting. She was probably the best. Yeah. She had the most charisma. Yeah. I think that she's like on other Disney Channel okay. shows. Um, I don't think that this was like her first rodeo. Uh, Makes sense. Yeah. I, I mean, she really did kind of like sell it more than the other yeah. kids. And it might have just been because she was younger because you kind of like let little kids be very presentational yeah, in movies yeah, and it's yeah. just sort of cute um nikki the ghost boy was like really channeling like a lot of kyle energy <laughs> <laughs> oh my god tell me i'm wrong no i mean you're not wrong <laughs> i i like <laughs> i 
think he's supposed to because I think yeah. in the book he doesn't actually like Max that much. Okay. Yeah. But I think in this one just sort of came through as like big Kyle energy. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> That's, uh, it's not wrong. Yeah. <laughs> it's a good way to describe it. Mm-hmm. I've I, got nothing else to yeah, say about this. I, I think that we have to end there. I don't think we can get better yeah. than, than you Nikki know. Nikki has Kyle Nikki energy. He has Kyle energy. Yeah. yeah. Uh, so let's go into the outro. All uh, right. So now that we have recorded two episodes of Big Streaming Pile, uh, you can catch us being uploaded on wherever you like to listen to podcasts every Thursday from. Halloween now until you know when we stop doing this uh, season around Christmas time. Um, do you want to talk about the upcoming films? I don't know the upcoming films, so oh, I'm well, gonna say I told no. you. Okay. <laughs> yeah, that would assume I remember. <laughs> so the upcoming films, which not even Tom knows, so this is an exclusive list. Yeah. Uh, this we is are, a scoop. <laughs> yeah, we are doing Game Over Man, The Emoji Movie, Secret Obsession, Friend Request, and B Movie. And around Christmas time, we are also doing a Christmas special, just like our Halloween special now, where we are doing a Christmas Prince 1 and 2. You can follow us on projectderailed.com, Facebook, and Twitter. That is all of our socials. Wow. And again, you can find us on wherever you like to listen to podcasts. So iTunes, Spotify, Stitcher. Um, we're on you. We will be uploaded to YouTube. I'll make, really? sure, okay. I'll make sure Nick does. Okay. <laughs> and uh, yeah. That's all. Thank you for listening, guys. Bye. Bye. ProjectDerailed.com